This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones podcast. I'm your host, Razor, and we've got a full panel tonight. We've got Sarah, Isis, Dan is here with us tonight, plus the two Corys. That's right, your favorite pair of Corys is here. And uh, we're going to be talking about Game of Thrones, episode 705, Eastwatch. And we begin right where... um, the Battle of the Loot Train. That's right, they're calling it the Battle of the Loot Train, not Field of Fire 2.0, not Danny Rex, all the dicks, the Loot Train. And apparently, Dan, since you're here tonight for the first time this season, um, Jamie can hold his breath a really long time. All right, yeah, that bit. Um, I'll be honest, I wasn't a giant fan of the episode, and that's kind of where it started for me. I mean, I liked a lot of it. I liked big parts of it. And it's not that it's that big a deal. I mean, so we all, I think, I just know last week, and Thone said, I mean, he's not going to die. Of course, he's not going to die. Right. I wanted them to, I just wanted them to have a little more of an explanation so I could hold on to, rather than we tricked you into believing one of the big characters might be dead and, oh, he's fine. Like, I just wanted more than that. I want a little bit of effort. I yeah. wanted some try. Like, did, did he come? Like, I, I kind of expected him to come up around the dragon and kind of got that old shit face he had when he went in. But sure, maybe even explain the depth problem from going on to the shore, to the sand, what it, you know, the, the fucking trench down the middle of the river. I guess I don't know. Whatever. He did have a funny line when he came out. Um, he did. You almost killed me. I. Mm-hmm. That was a good line. That was a really good line. And, uh, it was. And I, I also like Bronn's little uh, screed about, you can't die, you gotta pay me, dragon can't kill you, I, you can't kill you, I can kill you after you pay me. And that's <laughs> yeah. fine. So I, got, so, 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 so I got over it. But I'm just saying, I don't know, if you're gonna do a big cliffhanger like that, I think you have to follow through if you don't want me to be a little perturbed. Which is not, I know it's not high on that priority list. But I wish it were higher. <laughs> they would have done a little more. With that. I agree. I agree. Phone, you weren't a big fan of the cliffhanger either. At all. Oh my god! I just ate a sour patch kid. I thought <laughs> you were going to go to other Smith. This is this is the quality control you have with Take the Black. Um, well, in, in my defense, sour patch kids are delicious. So, no, I did not like the cliffhanger ending from the episode before because, like Dan said. I'm like, oh, are they going to kill Jamie? Is Jamie going to drown unceremoniously? No. What a waste of my time. 
and 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 them. Okay, first off, uh, uh, that is that a river or a lake? River. Okay, An so ocean, it is apparently. A, yeah, it, so there is a current at least. So they could have at least had a thing with them holding on to a door, Titanic style, and floating down the river instead of them just swimming two miles. Anything, just anything, Whatever. would have been better than, than nothing. But who's Jack and who's Rose in that situation? Is what I want to know. I guarantee you, Braun would kick Jamie's ass off that door if it came down to <laughs> it. Braun's got full functioning hands, so he's he's going to win that battle. That's true. But yeah, I I mean, I was disappointed because <laughs> it was really funny because I tweeted I was like, oh man, I was really hoping that Jamie and Braun would be prisoners and we get a Tyrion Braun Jamie reunion. Oh well, and then like eight minutes later, whoop, everybody's in King's Landing. So uh, I do think, and Dan, I'm sure you agree. This is basically us just being nitpicky whiners because this entire season has been full of, like, somebody said today, I don't know if it was on Reddit or what, it might have been Twitter, this season of Game of Thrones feels like a tabletop RPG <laughs> that everybody everybody has to go home in 30 minutes so they're trying to rush. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> all right, we go to the wall and capture a White Walker, rolls a 17, got it, and then, like, it just come back, I'm back in King's Landing, roll, got it. So yeah, it's, <laughs> that's good. It's really been sped up. So I mean, it's really nitpicky, I guess. But still, let's. Uh, I mean, I, I, go ahead, Dan. Okay, really quick. I mean, um, uh, I didn't really get. I mean, th- th- there's always nits to pick. Always, you can always find something. Um, th- this was the first episode this season that I, I really felt them rushing. The first four, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there were things you can you can pick apart. You always can, and maybe more this season than, than others. But this was the first episode I just I noticed it a lot, and it kind of started to mount a bit for me. But I know that like, was it. Kind of bothered Corey Smith as well because he kind of had a time hop Ooh. problem. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, it was just too many examples. You know, you got Gendry and King's Landing, then the Dragonstone, then to the Wall, all in one episode. And same thing with you got Tyrion; he's uh, in the Reach or outside of King's Landing, wherever he was at the beginning. Then he's at Dragonstone, then he's in King's Lane, he's back in Dragonstone, all in one episode. And so, it was just too many people jumping around the map. I mean, just like you kind of said, Don, just like felt like they were rushing. And I mean, like, I understand it in, to an extent, but also it's like, why do they feel the need to rush? Like, I don't understand what the you know what the big rush is because like it's they, only seven episodes and, and but this they didn't exactly. have to make it seven i episodes. know and that's that's what's <laughs> driving me bananas is that you guys you could have fit you didn't have to write additional shit you could have fit all of this storyline the exact same storyline in the 10 episodes it wouldn't have felt rushed we wouldn't have to jump over stuff I, i'm right. with i'm with you and it's, it's because it's only seven episodes so what they're doing is episode six just like because this is the next to last episode, has all, you know, traditionally episodes eight or nine have been the one where there's just a crazy amount of stuff happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like action. Mm-hmm. So they're setting up for that again, which is fine. But again, you could have at least added one more episode and you could have gapped out these quick travels a little bit. Anyway. And before we move on, Dan, I do want to ask you, wasn't there an article wow. with um, EW's Hibbert about uh, if they wanted to do extra episodes, they would have filmed extra scenes? And all that there was there was this big talk about why they did seven instead of ten. Do you remember that that article from EW? I mean, not well enough to try to quote. From well, it. not quoting, but paraphrasing. There was something along the lines of, "Don't worry, if they really wanted to do 
It was about the, the ex- everybody wanted extra length in every episode, and that basically was like if they wanted to do more, if they had more content, they would have made more episodes. Clearly, they have more content, or they could have if they wanted to. They're just going to go ahead and push the story forward. But let's move on. Sarah, uh, you're a huge fan of Daenerys Targaryen. We established this last episode. You were on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, here's where we're going to debate a little bit. Um, a lot of people say that Danny, and I've seen this all over the internet for the past couple of days, and people who usually are pro Danny, even entire subreddits who are all about it, all you know, Daenerys Targaryen, are now against her because. She roasted the Tarleys, especially Dickon, which is apparently a, a fan favorite immediately. And now they're all saying she's a mad queen. I don't believe it's fair. I think she gave him a choice. Whether it was a bad choice, it was still a choice. What do you think about Danny's role in um, how she did it? Well, thank you for asking me first so I can be the one who's lampooned. <laughs> I just uh, want people to say really yeah, bad things note. about you in the comments. Oh, you don't need to ask me this now for that to happen. Um, I mean, I, I feel like I can say that about Daenerys because I've always felt that way. This episode hasn't changed anything for me. I think I agree that she had to do something big to gain traction in the war because Cersei was so thoroughly smashing her. But what I take issue with is the fact that she stood up in front of these men and said, I'm not here to murder. And she said to Tyrion, I don't want to put anyone in chains. But giving people a choice between death or what you want them to do is not a choice. That's terrorizing them into subservience. So if you hark back to season three, Daenerys, who bought the Unsullied and then said, you're free to either go home or join me, and you won't be harmed. I mean, I know it's a completely different situation because she's not freeing slaves, but those soldiers are just men who are trying to support their families, live their lives, as Arya touched on in the first episode when she met Ed Sheeran and his strange mates. They weren't given a choice, and they were, I mean, they were strong-armed into it. She terrified them. It, It wasn't... It just wasn't a choice, and that's what I took issue with. I took issue with the fact that she presented it in in such a way as if she's so benevolent that she's not going to kill them all immediately. They can choose not to die by basically becoming her property. So that's, that's what I took issue with, and I'm glad that more people are noticing that because I think that means the writing of the show is doing its job. Uh, they they want you to make up your own mind about Daenerys. They don't want to present her as a, a one-track character. Which is exactly what David Benioff said after the episode. ISIS, as our military correspondent for Take the Black, um, th- this is the hell of war, right? Like you can't release an entire force of soldiers after you've defeated them because they're going to go right back to the, to your enemy, right? Well, I mean, there's there's two sides that you can kind of look at it. I mean, that this they've basically been, you know, slaughtered, um, and they've seen their their brothers and uh, slaughtered as well. So I think that yes, there there will be some that will say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and take arms and and you know go back to the Lannisters, and um, or there could be some that says, you know what, I don't want to have any part of this, and I want to go away. Um, I don't want, you know, they may not even go back to their homes. They just 
might go off somewhere else. Uh, I mean, we see that a lot even now. People who come back from war, you know, sometimes they can come back and, and you know, be in society and some of them just completely disconnect. And, and it, you know, especially when you have a situation where they just watch, you know, their brothers in arms get fried or baked or whatever you want to call it uh, in front of their roasted. Yeah. In their, in their armor. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's going to really kind of weigh heavily on them. And then not only that, but to see their, um, you know, their leader, their Lord, uh, and his son get roasted as well. Um, I, I think that, uh, Danny really doesn't have to worry about those uh, those people. Even if she let them go, I really don't think. Just like um, Jamie said to Cersei, I, I he saw them, and and there's no way in hell, even if they got those men back, uh, you know, if Danny had released them, there was no way that they were going to be able to help. I mean, at the end of the day, right? So, so she, I think she would have done a lot. Uh, done a lot more good just by letting them go um and disbanding the the army and everything but at the same time she she had to show that she's you know she means business um did she i mean did i agree with Tyrion? yes i i agreed with Tyrion because this was just very bad pr very very bad pr um because these people are going to go back and they're going to say you know and we already know the maesters know about it Cause, because it's something we learn later, but yeah, the maesters know of it, so the pretty much all of Westeros knows about the burning. Um, uh, Corey Smith, you're a uh, you're a big fan of people being burned alive. Um, <laughs> how, <laughs> how did you feel about uh, Randall and Dickon's last moments? Did you think Randall was being sincere? I mean, obviously he said to, to see his son go, but is it more of your your fat brother is going to be the head of the house, technically, I guess, maybe, or uh, if you go, or is it really sad because Dickon's dying with him? I think it was it was for Dickon. Um, I, I think he he knew what, that he couldn't switch sides again. I think that he had, he had already betrayed who he you know who he is supposed to follow in the in the Tyrells, and now all of a sudden he's switching sides again. He would just look you know, completely foolish. So I think he knew when he switched sides that it was ride or die. Like he had no, there was no out for him after that. And so I think he kind of accepted that. But when Dickon decided to join him, I think you kind of saw he's really upset. He was like, that's just some stupid boy. I don't know who the hell that is. And he was trying to cover for him. And I think that, you know, and even when he said, uh, you know, when Tyrion was trying to tell Dickon to, to bend the knee, you know, even Randall kind of looked at him and was like, yeah, go ahead, do it. You know what I mean? Because then it's not me, it's you. You know, I'll die, and then our house can survive through you. So right. I thought he was sincere. I, I thought he, he really was trying to get Dickon to survive. I don't even know if he if Sam crossed his mind. I think, you know, he I cared so it. much at about this point. Yeah, I don't think he was like, oh, man, now Sam's going to be in charge. I think he was just like... You know, our house, I think he considers Sam dead and gone, and he's like, well, now our house is going to be extinguished because Dickon's, you know, going to die with me. So I thought he was sincere there. Um, and, yeah, like I said, I don't think he, he, he knew he didn't have much of a choice. So, yeah. Well, I mean, I have to say, and this is something I said in the live tweet, is that, I mean, I, I remember the way, you know, the Tarleys 
treated Sam. And so was I upset that they're dead? No, not really. I didn't care. I mean, I, to be honest, I mean, this was a death that I did not care because they're a bunch of racists anyway, and I'm good. So. Yeah, but Dick well, on I wasn't. Have, I have Dick on wasn't. Yeah, oh, no, Dick, Dick, on. Dick on was mean to Sam, and that's enough for me right there. So, well, like, I mean. Mean to Sam? I, Randall yeah, was. Randall was Randall. Yes. Dick on just seemed, like, good-natured and slightly stupid. Uh, no, when well, Sam I mean, was at dinner with him. Randall was the only truly mean one. I thought the rest of his family were perfectly nice. No, I I remember vividly that that uh, you know Dickon was being a royal dick, and to well, Sam. No, no, no. He was, was talking about hunting rabbit versus deer. No, and all that kind but of stuff. he was Sam was telling him, and we're going talking about last season. But right. he was telling him that he, you know the things that he had did and he was like oh yeah you did that mm-hmm. and you know i mean he was like you know di- very dismissive towards him um I, fuck him. I think that's just i don't care i think it's just being affable stupid dick on really yeah honestly. i i rewatched that scene recently because i was looking over all the dick on stuff and he just seemed to be a bit of an idiot really oh they don't exist like i i don't think that's where isis is getting it from the whole they don't exist thing i got you i get i'm I'm picking up what you're putting down yeah i don't i didn't see any meanness in the way he treated sam and i think regardless of how randall treated his son i think when sam finds out he he is going to be very very upset and i think that's going to come back later i mean you've got sam being the man who cured jor mormont who's now gone to Daenerys, who's now murdered Sam's family. So I think that's that's going to be something you'll see come around later on. Well, I think he'll be upset because he is a sensitive person and he's a caring person. He's not a hateful person. That, yes, he will care about that his brother and his dad are both dead. And we always uh, have regrets. I- and plus Sam had that line at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the episode. His last scene. Anyway, we got to get this thing moving. Let's get this ball rolling. Let's get to King's Landing. And um, Dan, we got to see the moment where Jamie reveals that Olena shut down. Uh, uh, Olena shut down. <laughs> Olena mm-hmm. is the one that killed Joffrey, and it kind of shuts Cersei down for two beats. Actually, uh, I saw a great meme on the internet where it showed like a computer loading on top of her head whenever he told her that. What did what yeah, did you think uh, of that? I liked both scenes between Jamie and Cersei this week. I thought all the Lannisters were firing on all cylinders, pretty good. Um, They're kind of the better parts of the episode. I thought the scene was good. I mean, yeah, she g- gave a, a moment's thought to it. I mean, I never thought she was going to warm up to Tyrion because then she didn't. I mean, he still killed their dad. It's not like he's blameless or anything. Um, I think that Cersei's like Tywin. She made up her mind about Tyrion a long time ago and being told that, no, he didn't actually kill your son, but he did kill your dad is not really going to change that. Yeah, um, Cersei is just like she said. Um, it doesn't matter if if we try to sue for peace because we you killed her father or if um, we fight, the results are going to be the same. And Which I sort of liked. I mean, I'm always struggling with Cersei. Like, I know she's terrible and burns people and probably not the best person to rule the country, but I don't know. What, I, I, I liked that moment where she said that, where she, I know my choice. It's fight or die or submit or die. There's a part of it that's like, yeah, you stand up, Cersei. Good for you. 
So uh, I'm just enjoying to see how far she takes her recalcitrance. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great word. I, I, um, at least with Cersei, you know what you get. I mean, yeah. there's no hiding her character. Um, everybody knows who she is, and she's been more of out in the open Lannister, but especially with Jaime and their relationship than ever before. Uh, but the next scene we have is uh, a scene that I was really looking forward to. Uh, Drogon meeting John and the uh, recognition that he's a Targaryen. I saw a lot of people on Twitter during this scene talking about, oh, he's just going to automatically know what's going on, and he's just going to let a stranger touch him. Well, I think he smelled Targaryen in him, and Isis, John's your man. Uh, what were you thinking about that when that scene happened? Were you afraid for John at all? No, I was not afraid for John. Um, as far as the dragon was concerned, I was afraid of Danny's reaction to John uh, being able to pet her baby, um, essentially. And if you would, you know, look at the the look on her face. I mean, it was it went through a multitude of uh, emotions. I mean, it was one of those like of curiosity, um, and then you know it kind of went to like, okay, what you know, trying to put together what's going on here. And then kind of fear, uh, and I say fear because if John is able to control, not that she has, I don't think it's crossed her mind that he's a Targaryen, but the fact that if he can pet her baby and or maybe have some control over her dragons, she has three of them, uh, that makes him a threat. So I think for, for me, and not only that, but I think also she was like kind of excited of the, the, the fact that, you know, there's another person who may be able to to um, manage her dragons as well. But I, I think at, at the end of the day, she's always thinking strategically. And I think that's one of the things that uh, um, that worries her about John. I think John was just in awe of the situation and everything. But he also made it a point to, you know, say that they, they are not. They're animals. They're they're beasts, and um, and she Danny didn't like took, that. No, Danny took a lot of offense to that. So, but I don't think it, at all Danny put together that he may be a Targaryen. I think she just looks at him as a threat. Oh, obviously. And uh, after that, we've got the return of Jorah Mormont. My God, Dan and Phone, you guys are right. Like as we're recapping this, this is just happening. Bam, bam, bam. But Jorah returns, and. Um, he gets a hug from Khaleesi, his Khaleesi. Like, I mean, he, is this the first time he's ever come in contact with her? Anybody? Any, can anybody confirm or deny this? Because I, I don't remember her, and like, I don't remember ever being the kissing of the hands. I don't remember the full-on hug before. That was kind of like a big first-time step in their uh, friend zone relationship. I, uh, I think uh, the most he's ever done is is like taken her hand. So when he rescued her um, during the uh, you know, when they were set upon in the fighting pit, he took her hand. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, I think I think that's that's the furthest they've ever gone. He got a, a hug this time. Which His is the ultimate? It's the ultimate friend zone move, though, is to get a hug. So it's perfect, I guess. Well, I just you know, I felt so bad for him. I, I mean, that that whole scene made me laugh anyway because it started with John just sort of trying to have a quiet brood, and the dragons just like ah. Um, and then it ends with Jorah finally after coming so close to death and enduring such a painful procedure and traveling all this way to see her. She's just there standing next to a hot guy. I mean, ouch. 
And then they stare at each other the rest of the episode. Yeah. It, I, I just felt bad for him. Poor Jorah. He's, he's almost comically tragic. <laughs> okay, so let's get on with this episode. Moving on quite quickly. Um, in Winterfell, and I know we'll probably spend a little bit of time here, we've got uh, Bran looking uh, through his ravens, and he's following the Night King. Um, Corey Smith, we haven't heard a lot from you this episode. Um, Army looks bigger, smaller. I know you talked about the Giants earlier today at work. Uh, what did you think about those, the Night King and his army? Yeah, well, you know, when I did the uh, screen cap, I didn't catch it the first time around, but uh, when Bran wargs into the Ravens, their eyes go white, and then they kind of flut- flutter white and black. Which was uh, weird, yeah? Yeah, that was kind of... I don't think we've ever seen the animals do that before. But um, anyways, yeah, I don't know. To me, it looked kind of small, the army. Um, I'm sure we weren't seeing the whole thing. But it didn't look that impressive to me. And, yeah, the Giants were missing. Um, and it just, I don't know, it just didn't look very very large. And I think, if I remember, there was only, what, three or four White Walkers, right, uh, up on that little hill? I didn't count. I know there were two or three at least with the Night King. It wasn't, it, it couldn't have been all of them. Um, they had to be hurting know, the dead down there somewhere, right? Yeah, so I don't know. It, it didn't look terribly large to me, but I, like I said, I think we just didn't see the whole thing. But I, I do like that Bran is, you know, kind of doing his three-eyed raven thing. He's kind of, you know, finding reconnaissance and trying to find out where the hell, you know, the the hit's going to come. Um, I loved seeing Eastwatch. You know, when the when the ravens flew over Eastwatch, that, that was, was really amazing. Cool. Oh, I loved that. Yeah, yeah, because we'd never seen any castle on the wall other than Castle Black. So that was definitely cool. Um, I thought it was interesting that it had the, the switchback staircase going to the top of the wall mm-hmm. um, because Castle Black uh, had that in the books, uh, but not on the show. They just have the elevator. So I, I thought the whole scene was pretty cool. Um, but, yeah, I don't know how impressive the army looked. I mean, that, they're certainly afraid of it, but it didn't look terribly Huge That's there. just got to be a small part, right, Dan? Like, there's got to be, like, we've seen and heard about the Night King this entire time. I mean, this can't just be the little bit of the undead that's walking with him there. I mean, it looked big to me. Um, I'm sure there's more or there's less. I'm not going to worry too much about the appearance of the numbers from a bird's eye view, literally. <laughs> but, uh, you know, this jumps right into the Citadel where... Because Bran sends out ravens, and we've got a group of old fluddy duddies sitting around a table. Correct me if I'm wrong, Corey Thone, but did, did it look like Samwell was trying to hide that squirrel he had picked up, or, or was he just listening in? I think he was just listening in. I think he was looking for something to hold while he was, um, you know, listening to everybody talk so he could interject and be just like everyone else that has actually been north of the wall and be poo-pooed and ignored uh, completely. So it's it was basically just another scene where they show just how little... Because these are the most educated men in Westeros. These are the doctors, the the maesters are the historians, they are... The learned the, men. 
the learned men, they're literate for Christ's sake. Yeah. I mean, that puts them in the one percent. So I mean, it's <laughs> it's a very it's a very the only real the true importance of this scene is that they're willing to like listen to that, but they're not gonna act on it. <laughs> they don't think that it's that real. Like they, oh, Northmen always have you know. Tyrion said that people at the wall, you know, let them have their fancy about uh, John getting stabbed in the heart. And then now the Maesters are like, ah, people in the north, they just have stories, you know. I mean, it's, I don't know, it was just another scene emphasizing that Sam is, uh, or not Sam, but the northerners are not getting the point across and they don't know what to do. So it just kind of added another brick to the house of let's go wrangle up a white up north, lasso us a white walker and hog tie it and drag it back down in under eight seconds. Yeehaw! <laughs> and uh, watch out for them horns and that killer cacti. It's like a stupid-ass storyline. <laughs> oh and um, I really... I really hate where this episode ends up, but we'll get to that later. But oh, yeah, yeah we're scene, definitely so Sam, getting to that. Sam leaving, you know, uh, I guess whatever. You're still in the Night's Watch, so we can't go back home and be lord of whatever his fancy house was called. So, Horn Hill. Horn, Horn Hill. He can't go be lord of Horn Hill <laughs> because he, uh, he's, he's, he's in the Night's Watch, and he hasn't been killed and resurrected so he has no out like john did so i don't That's know true. i don't know I, it, whatever the scene was interesting enough because everybody in it the two main characters in it are interesting guys but i take it from the just, scene what was interesting to me was the fact that those dickheads were holding back the information that his father and brother were dead uh oh yeah i actually i literally forgot about that so <laughs> literally forgot about that yeah they were they, they were talking about all the other things, and they're like, "That's the kid whose parents, whose whose brother and father were torched." Yeah, um, <laughs> that's unfortunate. Let's keep moving on. Um, I, I don't know, man. I don't like Professor Slughorn as much as I did in the Harry Potter movies. I'm just telling you right now, he's kind of a dick on this show. Um, but <laughs> uh, anyway, oh Dan, I was reading your recap, and I wanted to ask you about this because this is kind of a uh, using this for for timeline purposes, but Jenny of Old Stones was referenced here. Yeah, real quick. Uh, it was when they were making um, the excuses. The one guy was like, "Well, it's definitely not real." Reminds me of when Jenny of Old Stones was claiming she was a children of the forest. Descendant. Oh, that's right. It's like and you know, it's that's right. It's like it's like Corey Thone said. They're just they're finding places in their vast knowledge to find excuses not to act. And I think it kind of plays into why they didn't tell Sam that his family was dead. Like, they're obviously, they're big on excuses and not acting and not being confrontational. So it makes sense they wouldn't do it in a small scale like Sam or a big scale like the White Walkers. The big reveal from this scene, well, though, was that Rhaegar Targaryen had his marriage annulled. Corey Smith, you are our uh, historian. What does that mean for John? What does that mean for... The entire story going forward that he is not a bastard Targaryen, but he is, in fact, a legitimized Targaryen, and there's written proof. Yeah, I I like – I mean it was a little bit 
you know, like, oh, they just kind of slipped it in there. But I like that scene a lot. And, you know, even from, you know, when, when Gilly's pestering him with all this stuff and then she asks about annulment, it's like he kind of gets this look like, I'm thinking about an annulment right now. Um, oh, yeah, John but, Bradley killed those scenes. Yeah, he was like, well, let me tell you what an annulment is. When your wife is pestering you with how many seps, you know, are in the Sept of Baylor and you don't want to hear it anymore. Uh, but... Yeah, basically what it means for John is, and this is kind of what we always were questioning, was, you know, we kind of knew that Rhaegar and Lyanna had run off together and that John was their child, right? But the que- the real question was, was he a legitimate child? Was Were they married or were was it just some sort of love affair? Because Rhaegar was already married to Elia Martell of Dorne. Um, had two kids with her. Um, and so the question was always, well, you know, if, if they weren't married, then John is still a bastard. He might be a product of, uh, he might be a Targaryen slash Stark uh, blood wise, but he's still, he's still a bastard. And so that, you know, to slip in there that he got the, that Rhaegar had the annulment from Elia and there, and then married uh, someone else and uh, did they name, Did they say Liana or did they just say they he, did not he, say Liana? Said okay. somebody else. I didn't think so. Right. He, he then he got annulled and then he got immediately got remarried to someone else, which we know is is Liana. And that do we do we know that? Because isn't there is there like a Westerosi Las Vegas between <laughs> Dorne and King's Landing? I have. Is, is it Heron Hall? But I don't know. No, Heron Hall is north of King's Landing. Come on. Horn is west of Las Vegas. So Horn, I, yeah. I think it's Leon. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it was just kind of casual slip in there. And even, you know, uh, Sam didn't pick up on it. He was just overwhelmed with the shit that the Macers are, you know, making him do. And I think that, you know, I, I read the, I did this interview with uh, John Bradley for, for Wick where he talked about the, the Macers. Their primary motivation is knowledge for knowledge's sake. You know, they just want to know everything that they can know. Whereas Sam is coming at it from, I want to learn stuff so that I can go help people, so that I can do something with that knowledge. And so, you know, I think in that scene, that's when he finally hit the breaking point where it's like, you know, they're just making me do this bullshit. And that's why I'm getting out of here because I'm not here to just learn how many windows or in the Red Keep, or whatever useless knowledge, he's there to learn stuff. How many bowel movements Maynard took? Did anybody else catch John Bradley's look on his face whenever he said the bowel movements part? Yeah. That was hilarious. Uh, Isis, you and I were talking in group chat, probably, I guess, about Friday or Saturday, about, because we, a supposed leaked script, which turned out to be pretty close to what happened in the episode, almost dead on, was out there, and you were talking about annulments. Um, In the books, Isis has by the way guys Isis has not read the books in case you didn't know that in the books there is a another Targaryen uh claiming to be one of the sons of Rhaegar who was supposedly killed um now Isis you brought up a point then that does annulment make the child a bastard or are they still legitimized well i and i'm just talking in context of like the catholic church the way they're they look or I should say after Vatican II, uh, the way the Catholic Church treats, treats annulments. And they treat annulments that, you know, yes, that, that the annulment is that the marriage was not sanctified by whatever God. For the Catholic Church, you know, they would say 
you know, God did not sanctify this, this marriage or whatever. Right. Um, the, you don't, when you have a marriage annulled in the Catholic Church, the child, the children are still the children. They are not bas- They don't instantly become bastard children. They are still children of that relationship of what you had. So, uh, no, they do not become bastard children at all. At least that's in the world of the you know the Catholic Church, and I think most religions, when if they do have some type of annulment situation. Now, we're talking about you know Game of Thrones world, I, I have no idea, and I don't know how the book treats annulments and things like that but i have to believe that you know you can go ahead and annul on a marriage but you don't annul your child <laughs> your child is still your child right no matter what and not, i don't think there's any min- i was just gonna say i don't think there's any mention of annulments anywhere else in the books i can't remember either show. yeah so i don't i mean it's kind of all unprecedented but i think what you're saying definitely makes sense isis yeah so uh We've got the casual uh, dropping that uh, of John's legitimization as a Targaryen, and you know what? It's good that Sam's gone. He can move on to help kill the White Walkers or be some kind of whatever tool in the, in the killing of the White Walkers. That's fine. But um, we move on to Dragonstone, and um, things are heating up, haha, so to speak, as Varys and Tyrion are upset, they're drinking wine, and Varys is trying to convince Tyrion to talk Danny into something else. Like, Sarah, have you ever seen anybody change Danny's mind about anything? Well, yes. I mean, twice in the last two seasons, she's been told, don't go burn a city. And she's listened both times. So first to Tyrion, and then to John. Uh, My worry is eventually she is going to reach the point where her mind won't be changed. And she is going to go and do something monumentally stupid like that. I think Varys can sense that that's a danger. Um, I loved the moment where he, like, took Tyrion's wine and took a sip as if to say, oh, I'm so done, I need a drink. That was great. Yeah, and he was immediately pretty disgusted with it. Uh, I mean... Going back to the scene that she had with Varys and this scene between Varys and Tyrion, again, I think the show is setting up for a bad turn from her. I think why else would these scenes be there if not to prepare us for the fact that she may do something monstrous? And I think John's parentage has been withheld from John specifically for that exact reason, because I think... When she, if, if she does agree to fight alongside him, the natural place for them all to go, as Sansa said, where everybody would want to go during the winter is Winterfell. So I think when she arrives at Winterfell and that reveal is, is made, I think that's when you're going to see her turn and stop trusting people. She's already turning on Tyrion um, earlier in the episode when he was asking her not to burn the Tarleys to death. She looked at him with like real disgust. In her expression. So I think they're giving us little hints. I think Varys has picked up on it. I think Varys is going to die. Um, I think she'll kill him. And I think this is this is what the show is, is setting up for. So I really looked at that scene in terms of wider picture. Wow. That's what you got from that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that is exactly what I got from that. I think the Varys scenes are very important this year. Melisandre predicting his death, his conversation with Daenerys, and now with Tyrion. I think that's definitely something to keep an eye on. Uh, 
I agree with Sarah because uh, that one thing that I noted was that this is really setting up for Tyrion have to pick between does he is he going to side with John who he is has more in common with he has more of a you know a rapport with him they both kind of see war the same way um, and and then he's you know I think that it may be the death of Varys might be the catalyst that pushes. Uh, uh, excuse me, Tyrion, to go and say, you know what, I, there's nothing I can do for you anymore. And, and might just go ahead and go with uh, with John. I, man, you guys are really taking a dark... I just don't see... I have not... I've always believed that Danny is uh, much better than her forebears, that even though she's got the dragons, she hasn't done what she could have done so far, and she had the cho- she had the chance, and she didn't do it. Um, burning a couple of rebellious leaders, rebellious in her mind, enemies, I guess you could call it, uh, after giving him, giving them a choice in her mind was, was not being the Mad King. And I don't know, I just don't see where varies, and maybe, maybe the discussion from the beginning of the season where she said, um, you know, if, if you do ever go behind my back, I'll burn you, I guess. Maybe that's what's tipping the, the scales. I don't know. But I don't know. I just don't see this happening, this, this turn of this evil can, queen, unless I, the show is pointing you there to misdirect. Can I interject with one thing? It, again, this is regarding John's parentage. Why else is that information being withheld for so long? Because otherwise it has no – and I've tried to – I've considered how else this would impact the story. Otherwise, for me, it doesn't have – any great impact on the story on John it will have a massive impact on a personal level but he's already been resurrected from the dead we already know he's special Melisandre knows he's special she already thinks that he is the prince that was promised so why is this reveal of his bloody parentage being held off for such a long time if not to be a catalyst of a massive change in his relationship with Daenerys and why is she going off and doing these things like burning the tallies out of his eyeline, he has not borne witness to what she did with the Lannister army. He is not part of her immediate council, so it's not like Tyrion is going to take him aside and tell him. He only knows what he sees from her and what he hears from other people, and that may not be the full story. So I think the entire build-up of their relationship and and how that's progressing, I think the entire thing is a misdirect. I think his parentage, the reason why that is important is because it is going to be the catalyst that fucks things up. And she is a hidden big bad the entire time. It's an interesting thought. Can I, can I, jump, can I jump in? Yes, yes, yes. I disagree. All right, <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that there are, they're definitely setting up and showing some foreshadowing with uh, Danny turning more and more into her father, not listening to Tyrion, but at the same time, I don't really know if for example, them her burning the Tarleys, was that uh, weird? I mean Rob Stark cut off his own man's head, not granted that eventually led to the Red Wedding Ned Stark beheaded people you know, I, I'm assuming that conscription is pretty common in Westeros when it comes to the battlefield mm-hmm. you can either join up or, or join up or die uh, and John they, shot Mansurator in the chest rather than watch him burn to death for refusing to bend the knee to somebody. 
Yeah, well, he was also already getting burned to death, though. Like there really wasn't. No, but he was he was horrified by that. Sure, I'm not saying that John or that Danny is better than John. I'm saying Danny killing the Tarleys is not some weird thing that never happens in Westeros. I'm I'm thinking it's probably more common than. And we just haven't seen it in the show. The idea that that these soldiers, you've been conquered, so you're either going to be in chains or – but she's not going to put people in chains. She's the breaker of chains. So you either die or you fight for me. I mean that that's something that throughout history of the real world has been incredibly common. Right. So I don't I, I don't think that was that, you know, strange of a situation. She just now, used a dragon to do it, which she... freaked everybody out. How can she say that she's against slavery yet she's all right with terrorizing people into subservience? But that's not slavery, though. That's not slavery, yeah. It's I mean, not slavery, but it's, it's a just step slavery with more, more steps. The, the issue <laughs> with her is she, she's a moral absolutist, but she's okay to discard her morals when it suits her. She's I don't think she dis- the leader. I don't think she discarded her morals. If she's against slavery and she's going to pay those soldiers, then they're not slaves. They may be conscripted, but they're still part of a conscripted service of soldiers. How do we know she's going to pay them? How do you know they're? She's not. I mean, I mean, you're. It's like that's. It's just. I'm saying conscription is what it is. It's. It's a pretty sad part of war. But I mean, shit. The British Navy did it up until the 1900s. I mean, it's. It's a very common thing in warfare. You know, go throughout all of real history, and I'm assuming it's the same in Westeros. I mean, those guys, uh, you know, there were other option was to have not lost the battle. So, I mean, war is what it is, and she could have, and honestly, strategic strategically, it might have been a better call to either chain them up. But then you have to like still feed them and stuff, mm-hmm. or just kill them. But she gave them the option of either dying, which again, there are other kings and lords in Westeros that would have done just that, uh, or letting them fight for her because in her mind, like you said, she's an absolutist. In her mind, she is the rightful queen of Westeros. You should be fighting for me anyway. And as you can see, I'm gonna win. So I'm giving you a chance to get on the ground floor. <laughs> it's a very <laughs> It's a very Joker, Dark Knight type situation, but in her mind, I can see, and honestly, me looking at it, also, to to steal a line from the West Wing, let Drogon be Drogon. Like, she has <laughs> dragons. It's time, I mean, if you go back and look at how Westeros was conquered in the first place, it was with even more burning, even more death, even more destruction. So, she hasn't quite even gotten, in my opinion, to where... Her lineage has gone just to take over things, let alone her father. Now, I do think they're hinting that she is starting to lose her grip on the things that made her different. But I, I think that she's going to circle back around on that and, and, and pull a U-turn. But I could be wrong, but I think she's going to fall back onto her council and into her friends, and Masandi and all those and Grey Worm. She's those people really ground her, and them being away from her, like Grey Worm and Jora, those guys being gone, I think have really messed with her head. But I, I don't know. I, she's I got think all she's the gonna, advisors now. Tyrion's basically new. Uh, Varys yeah. is definitely new. So there's def there's new uh, parts in her life right now, uh, which is why I'm having such a hard time with everybody believing that she's going to turn into this big bad and 
again, we haven't even seen all three of her dragons burn one thing yet, except for last season when they tore up the slavers' ships of all things. Um, but we we can we can go round and round on this topic unless anybody else has anything else they want to add to this. Let's c- continue on to the really cool part where we got. Uh, well, I guess it really wasn't that cool yet. They're still talking in the in the in the in the throne room, and Varys has that message for John. John finds out Arya's alive, and he finds out uh, Bran's alive, and his first inclination is he needs to return home. Uh, I thought that was a pretty cool thing, uh, Dan. That just like all the other Starks, when he found out they were alive, even though he's the king in the north, even though he's there to get Dragonglass, his first inclination was to return home. I mean, I was under the impression that he wanted to return home because of what Bran saw, not because Bran was back. It just to me, he 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 said, uh, "I thought they were dead." Danny says, and "He did for you," and he goes, "I've got to go home." Well, yeah, because Bran's yeah. message was, "There's a giant army." Well, I get that too. Yeah, by the sea, so I got to go home and defend the North. And he immediately launched into that. I wish, and this is just another thing about them doing it quickly, that we would have gotten more of his reaction just to Bran and Arya, because they kind of had it lickety-split, and then they went right into I gotta go home, and then that led right into, let's go wrangle us a white. And did they just gloss over the fact that uh, Jon's brother saw the Night King with ravens? Did nobody talk about the fact that um, Jon's yeah. brother's magical? I mean, I'm sure, I mean, that's something I don't mind skipping over, because I don't know, do we need to like him to talk about that and them to all gape their mouths open and explain what we already know? I'm fine with him going over that. He won't even um, tell people that he's literally resurrected. You think he's going right. to be like, also, my crippled brother can <laughs> can like go into animals' brains and see what they see and control them. Also, he did it with this giant like special needs guy that wasn't actually special needs. He was just being channeled into power, and then everybody's just staring at him, and he's like, yeah, and then there's <laughs> Howland Reed's daughter, and they're in a cave, and there's a he green girl, and she's, she's dressed up like Peter Pan. Nobody knows why, and it's like just... <laughs> This, I mean, he won't even go into the very basic things that he could prove. Like, I get why I Dan think is it's like, like he, 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 he's focused on, okay, let's just prove that zombies exist and let's not overload them with all this. And I am behind that. Um, I, I think the main thrust of this scene, and I guess, I guess the, we can talk about it now, is the zombie plan. And I'm actually curious. Who uh, bought it? Who bought the plan? Uh, okay, after, okay. After in, in, in outline form, I get it. Mm-hmm. I do get it. Okay, they need to prove <laughs> it's Cersei. To Cersei, that it's a threat, and, and it does kind of play into Tyrion's. You don't want to roast King's Land. Let's get Cersei on our side, and we can all fight the war together. And I bet Tyrion's a little more afraid that Danny might do that now after seeing what she's doing. So he comes up with this plan: we can get one of these whites, we can bring it on down to King's Landing, show Cersei, then we'll all work together. Uh, armistice. Maybe he's figuring he can talk Danny into being a little calmer during that time. I do get it in the abstract. However, uh, there's got to be an easier way to do that, isn't there? No, that shit crazy. Take, yeah, I agree. Take a dragon, fly there, scoop up a white with its feet, fly back. What? I, it's in, like the eagles in Lord of the Rings. What the hell is going on? <laughs> She did say, Danny, that I'm, I can't leave because then Cersei will march in. But, I mean, yeah, one dragon, maybe. I mean, yeah, uh, uh, okay, else. it feels like they're doing it because it'll be cool, not because it makes all the sense in the world. You know what would solve this problem? Camera phones. <laughs> 
Yeah. Oh, if they only had a camera in this world. If but Grant could they, take a they, screenshot. They, well, they could, take it to King's Landing and Cersei would just be like, it's photoshopped. <laughs> fake, <laughs> fake news. You are fake news. You are fake. <laughs> I had this crack theory that John would just bring all of them to Winterfell and they'd have a party and they'd just come back with some random soldier just like with, with some really bad theatrical makeup. <laughs> he would just sort of mooch around going, he'd be like, look, there's your proof. No, but, I, alas, no. They really I, went to Eastwatch. David, I, your joke did not go unappreciated of Brand taking a screenshot, by the way. That was Thanks, hilarious. I appreciate that. <laughs> Nobody talks to me about screenshots. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I have to say, I, I thought this sounded stupid since the moment we heard about it on the Reddit leak. Same uh, you know, I don't. I, when was that? Last summer or last fall? God, after like, the, five yeah, years ago, I it seems like. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I mean, the it was to me, it was like the biggest thing that that shouted out that the whole Reddit leak was. You fake. called bullshit. That's the reason yeah. you called the leaks bullshit was because of the white hunt. Yeah. yeah, because it sounded so fucking stupid that you're just like, there's no fucking way. Why the fuck would they go north? And all try and cat like how are you going to capture one? They don't wander through the woods. Like one of them goes out into the woods to take a pee break, and they're going to be like, "Oh, let's throw them in a sack and take them <laughs> south." Like how the fuck are you? How are they planning on doing this without attracting the attention of the entire fucking white army that basically is con- you know it's like a hive of ants. They all do the same thing. So as soon as you attack one of them, they're all going to perk up, and then you're screwed. Like. I just it it makes no fucking sense and it hasn't since the moment we heard it, it and and I just I don't understand what is happening because otherwise the season has been pretty damn solid you know nitpick hey. here or there and it's like what Somebody the hell is going on? That was phone. Don't say hey, that was I me. Just, <laughs> I just want to go uh, to to note that I, I said in a couple of episodes ago about my tinfoil hat about that that uh, grayscale is going to make them immune from turning into a white. Uh, I, I still, I, now that this has all happened, and now Jorah, Sir Friendzone, is in, uh, I, I don't know if you want to call it SEAL Team 6, or whatever the fuck you want to call this. or Suicide uh, Squad. Suicide whatever, squad. Sui- Suicide Squad. I like to call it SEAL Team 6, but anyway, whatever. So, you know, this merry group of bandits are out there, um, I, I feel like Jorah is going to be like the only one that's going to be able to handle this white for some reason, um, because he is, you know, he had the grayscale and and all that stuff. I feel like we've invested way too much story time and hours on this grayscale uh, situation to for the storyline to just kind of drop and say, oh yeah, Jorah is now cured, yay! Uh, so now that he's part of this whole hunt for a white, I, I feel like. I, my tinfoil hat is still still has a chance. Still going I just, strong. I, I remember I remember over the summer or whatever fall we were talking about this leak. I, I was with Smith. I was like, "This is the thing that makes this." This sounds like something they would plant in in a in a script that they would give out to people so they could know like who leaked it. The way that Tyrion like <laughs> told three different people what he was going to do with Marcella, so yeah. he could figure out who was like, "Yeah, right." I was like, "Okay, so this probably isn't real." And then, and then, even after it was like, oh shit, everything else is being confirmed. You know, you you go back and imagine getting a script 
that describes some of the kind of outlandish stuff that's happened on this show, right? Like from especially from like season five and six, where uh, you know just. Uh, John is swimming in a he's getting crushed to death in the Battle of the Bastards by bodies and he's like swimming underneath bodies and it's like that sounds dumb as shit. Hodor's then, a time traveler. Yeah, Hodor's a time Hodor's traveler, a exactly. Time. And you're like you're like, okay, so this is dumb. This is fake. But then you see it and you're like, okay, I give you credit. I'm seeing the previews for this. It just looks like a plan that like if plans A through F like fell through. <laughs> like this is like I guess we're screwed. We got we just gotta go up there. They don't even have horses. Why didn't they take horses? It doesn't make any sense to me. It's driving me fucking bananas that like this is because all it seems like to me is a way to kill a bunch of characters. Like all of the Brotherhood <laughs> all of Brotherhood, uh probably probably Tormund, which is really gonna suck. I think that the only guy, the only person that I know is coming back is John. They could all die except for John, for all we know. I mean, John's the only one with "quote unquote" plot armor thick enough to to make it back to alive. To survive this stupidity. To yeah. survive this stupidity. What are what, this type of suicide squad? But it's like it doesn't <laughs> you were make, waiting for that. <laughs> uh, it doesn't make any sense. I, I, I'm almost convinced Tormund's going to die. I will say, Isis, to Touch your theory. Mouth. I'm sorry. I, it was gonna. It's gonna break my heart, but I, I do think he's dead. I will say, Isis. I've heard other theories about Jorah, and I don't know if you guys have heard this or not either. Or read about it. You probably, you book readers, probably been thinking this for I don't know however long. But that the white they're actually gonna bring back Isis yes. will be Jorah. Yes, I've that, heard. Oh. Yes, I've heard. That would this. be a fun little twist. That and that would at least add something to this trip instead of like wrangling up a a skeleton i've also seen people say it's going to be the hound and that the hound is going to be taken to king's landing and fight his as a zombie and then fight his zombie brother and we're gonna get zombie cool game bowl which just sounds like something from a video game but (laughs) there is a there's a shot of the hound drawing his sword in a sunny place which mm -hmm. is more than likely king's landing and he doesn't seem zombified to me so i think you can count on his survival I, I agree. Really, I think, I think I, the hound is number two on people with plot armor to make it back. Man. So I think you're right. As hey, well. what about what about the one guy who comes back alive all the time? Do you think he Barrett. could? Yeah, Barrett could get. I, I, you I, John. I was like, yeah, John's good. <laughs> Barrett, Barrett needs Thoros to come back, so his survival depends on Thoros's survival. And okay, yeah, let can me I tell also you. can I ask a question to book readers, Isis? And I don't know if you've heard about this either. Something, something. Please don't laugh at me. Something Barrick kisses <laughs> dead people and they come back to life too. No. Okay. Thoros. No. Is it Snow White? No, or no, something? no. It's, it's Barrick. Yeah. Thank in you. The, in the books, uh, Barrick, this is how Lady Stoneheart comes back to oh, life. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, okay. he finds Catelyn in the water and he gives her the kiss of life. But when he does, he, he dies, like yeah. dies, dies. Yeah, yeah. His he, magical life passes right, into whatever, her. Exactly. Oh, Whatever shit. shit is keeping him alive moves over to Catelyn. I know where so he's going. I know where so he's let's, going. So let's this. here we go. Here okay. we go. So so th- the top knot gets killed, and so Beric is now like, oh, Ugh, and, and the hound is also dead. So then Beric blows a kiss to the hound, wakes him back up, and dies. <laughs> and and that's how the hound is also like brought back up as well because I think that the hound's going to be at a pretty big disadvantage because I've seen a lot of running 
happening, and he's hmm. not—he's not a nimble—he's not a nimble fella. He I is. I want to uh, see that. I want to see the hound wake up and be like, "You fucking kissing me, Barrett." <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a good point though, because what I am, I, and I think something that they've done on the show, from what I, because I'm again, I'm like ISIS, where Shonleys, but things that happen in the books that they really had to cut, like Lady Stoneheart's obviously, obviously the biggest one. They kind of had to cut those out. Stuff that they that other people do that is important gets passed on to other characters to do to other characters. That's where the show really differentiates from the book in that there are people like, you know, Sansa with uh um Ramsey. The Bo- Ramsey instead of the Yeah, exactly thank you. Like like things where they they really have to compress it to keep it tight. And I, I would not be surprised knowing how big of a deal Lady Stoneheart is in the book that that power isn't shown or, or gift, whatever isn't shown with someone else that is going to make it to the end of the story as opposed to Lady Stoneheart, who now book readers kind of have to accept probably isn't that super important for the last book. Lady so, Hound. Anyway, sorry, sorry to go off off track like that. Yeah, I mean, no, no, no. For the biggest point from the episode, too. You know what? Yeah, we I can think go most back of to them the other... are going to come back. Yeah, we're, we're going to uh, go back to a couple of the spots, but let's keep talking about this point. And Sarah, I'm I mean, sorry to interrupt you, but let's keep I talking about it. I suspect that the actual next week's episode will probably be pretty entertaining, and they'll probably do a good job of it because they always focus on like, the penultimate. The, the the only issue is you have the setup was not great. We've all been saying it. Like they they wanted this white thing to happen so they can have what I'm sure will be a spectacular set piece. The only thing is you have to accept all this crappy, why are they doing this, to get into it. So if Game of, if the next Game of Thrones is the first episode you ever watch, I bet people will love it. Oh, of course. But the rest of us might be a little harder. Of yeah. course, and it's all layered with cheese. It's just super cheese. Oh, my God. The shots of them walking through the tunnel like they're the Avengers. Looking back at each other. Oh, them. my God. How can they okay, have Okay, but behind was- them <laughs> – Behind them were a group of more people who have been brought along to conveniently die, die. so that enough people are killed by the White Walkers so that when most of the core seven come back, you're like, oh, okay, well, they lost a lot of men, but it's nobody we care about. Yeah, <laughs> if, if you notice, they were all wearing red, red clothes. I'm so. <laughs> <laughs> fine. All right. Yeah. No. The dorkiest of dorks. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Are we on? Are we in hour going into hour two of a Game of Thrones podcast? Of course, we're the dorkiest dorks in Game of <laughs> But you have to understand that I I get everybody's point. It's like even when they were in the jail cells together, and like one guy would talk, and then another guy would talk. And then the other guy would talk, and then the other guy, like, his nemesis would talk. And it just went all the way down the line until the hound told them all to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Which was fun. I, I did like that. The, the, the hound is always uh, good for a laugh. The hound, this, this is a question that isn't really about them going north. It's more about the character of the hound, who obviously in the beginning of the show was entertaining enough, but was also, like, not your favorite I'm trying to think of another character. I mean, it's got to be like the Hound. It's got to be in the top three in terms of like screen time per entertainment value. Oh, like because uh, Hot Pie is number one. Olenna's <laughs> obvious for that. Clearly, uh, Olenna, Olenna, Olenna is exactly it's Olenna, the Hound, 
And I mean, I, I Jorah's in it a bunch, but he's also not one of the main players either necessarily. So Davos, he could, Davos, Davos is, yeah, yeah that's Davos. a great one. And Tormund, yeah, Tormund came on Tormund. late, so. Brienne, even. I mean, she doesn't show up a ton these days. We all Leanna, true, Leanna Mormont had to be in there, but you have. You Ooh, got. You ghost. Ghost. God. <laughs> oh, my God. The show is ghost full drink. of great characters. Ghost straight ghosted. He's not anywhere He's been this season. Hey, this season. <laughs> hey, Ghost got a mention on this episode, yeah. which I was really excited about. I was like, oh my god, someone. She, well, it was Sansa made a joke about it, but it was it was funny that you know that he was at least even mentioned because everybody's fucking thinking. It. Like but, Sarah, you know, I'm prob- I was probably going, okay, let's show Ghost in Sansa's room. Yeah, please. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna buy one of those ghost plushies from Amazon and just like <laughs> oh there's ghost he missed him in, in the background like where is he what what is he fucking up to is he just I don't know impregnating all of the Winterfell dogs is he taking a nap somewhere what is he doing we Ugh. see the dragons every episode and we can't see one shot of ghost he's he's resting up getting ready for the war I, I that's the only thing I, and, and he's probably banging a bunch of wild dogs out there. Down in he will die state. of canine leukemia off screen. <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god! That was well, he terrible. saw Nymeria, and he saw how jacked Nymeria he was, so now he's hit the gym. He wants to <laughs> achieve that level of greatness. G- Ghost and Sir Pounce are having a Milo and Otis type adventure. Oh, <laughs> yes! yes. Traveling around Westeros. I would actually watch that. I and I would also that. watch Gendry who made his appearance this episode. Oh, my goodness. Boom. Thank you, me. Thank you, Young Lysus, Christian for getting us back Bale. on point. Yeah. I was, I was watching that, and I was like, is this a spoonful of fermented crab on my tongue, or am I just happy to see you? <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> oh, my God. He was just wonderful to see. And, and you know, of course, I, I love the fact that Davos and Tyrion, they kind of go their own separate ways, and, and you're like, what the hell is going on here? What is Davos doing? I thought he was just going to be chilling by the boat waiting for Tyrion to get back, um, you know, from meeting up with, well, we didn't know really who he was going to meet up. We were hoping he was going to meet up with um, with Jamie, And then, you know, Davos ends up and, and what is it, Fleetwood? Or, I don't know, Fleet Bagging. <laughs> Fleetwood, Fleetwood Max Fleetbottom Max. Fleetbottom, yeah. Anyway, whatever that fucking place is. And, and we take a see... ride on Bogman Turner Overdrive and you'll oh. <laughs> Smartass. Um, I absolutely love the fact that Gendry turns around. I mean, he's got the short, cropped hair. And he's like packing his shit as soon as he sees freaking Davos. Like, all right, let's get in some shit. And he just I, walks out of his lucrative business. Like, bye. He's ready for action. Slash I Arya. know. And he's got his hair all short, looking just all just fine as shit. Um, so, yeah, I was I was so excited to see Gendry um, again. I mean, we had a feeling. I think we talked about it last episode or last, you know, Game of Thrones podcast uh, episode that we were hoping that we were going to get to see him. And he finally appeared and he did not disappoint because Homeboy is ready for action. Uh, a little bit more action than Davos was ready for. I think he just kind of, I, I think Davos was like, "Dude, chill out." You know, you, you know, he's not one to fight anyway. But, um, but can I just say anyway, that Davos always uses that line that I'm not much of a fighter, and <laughs> I mean he gets called on it by Tormund. At the and it end. always works. It always works. All right, but if we get caught, I'm not much of a fighter. <laughs> 
Sorry for um, allowing mine and Isis's hormones to take over the podcast for a while. Oh no, we've been waiting to talk about. No, we've been talking. We've been waiting to talk about this since the beginning of the uh, the season. So, goddamn it, we are talking about Gendry. As soon as I saw Joe Dempsey's name in the credits, I was like, "Oh God, I'm ready to go!" Like, where is he? (laughs) My body is ready. (laughs) Yeah, it was a my body is ready situation. I was just in my living room on my own, like, "Oh, come on." But I, I have to admit that uh, I felt really, and, and we'll get, I mean, I just want to talk about, you know, Jamie meeting up with uh, Tyrion, which I found um, exciting because, I mean, I had a feeling that that's what he was in King's Landing for, to, to go ahead and talk to his um, his brother and everything. But I love the fact that it was Braun, Braun, who has been basically the conduit between these two guys, the common denominator between these two Lannisters, was the one to bring them together. And to me, that was really satisfying as far as, like, kind of story development again on Braun. Have you, did anybody notice how Tyrion switched from being the really, indi- the really independent, badass hand of the queen to I'm the little baby brother of Jamie? Like, right when that happened, he went from being, hey, you know, must be friends again to... Daddy really hated me. What did you expect? He was going to kill me. Like, he kind of – he dropped the bass out of his voice is basically what I'm trying to say. You might notice that. He's done things like that. He's done things like that before. I mean, seasons two and three, a lot of his scenes with Cersei were just the two of them being siblings bitching out each other. So, I mean, Jamie's his family. He's known him since the day he was born. You're always going to devolve back into who you are with family when you see them. Uh, it didn't. It didn't surprise me. I knew things would get personal pretty quickly. I loved it. I thought it was a really. I mean, All right. I wish it was longer. Or it's a scene where longer has kind of a couple of them because those two are such rich characters, such good actors, and they were both killing it. I wanted to see more, but it, it made sense to me that he he does feel ashamed. He feels ashamed about killing his father a bit, probably that he's put his he's he's at war with his brother who he loves. So I got that there was conflict. I got that there was shame and uh, feeling small. I thought Dinkers did a great job of it. I wish we uh, saw a little more of the scene. I kind of think that Jamie was almost about to laugh when he said, you can't cut me in half with that practice sword. I kind of felt like it was right there. And just for a second, they were best friends again. But maybe they will be again, Razor. Maybe they will be again. Back to Gendry really quick before we leave. Did anybody notice when he when he – Uncovered his hammer and pulled it out. It had uh, the stag uh, antlers on either side of the mall. Did you notice that, Corey Smith? You're you're a good eye for detail. I did not notice that. Now I'm gonna have to go back and do a bunch of screen caps. Yeah, uh, man. I did. Gendry I did is not see that. Gendry is was full on Rock and Baratheon right there under Cersei's nose the entire time, and I know he was supposed to keep his hair uh, shaven because. It, he, I, where did I hear this from? Was it in work chat that he he didn't want uh, anybody to notice how closely he resembled Robert with his raven black hair or whatever? But yeah, man, that hammer's got the stag of Baratheon on it, which is pretty cool. But um, Isis, what did you have to say before we move on? Oh no, the, uh, the only other little part that I loved was when um, they're you know they're all at the boat and uh, and Davos is trying to convince these guys that this 
like pickled, I don't know, fish or whatever was like freaking Viagra. I had to admit <laughs> that made me laugh out loud. And then, and then when you see, you know, uh, Gendry kind of just make that turn of like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to have to kill these guys now. And he just does it and he doesn't even bat an eye. I mean, it really shows the difference of when the last time we saw Gendry to now. Gendry, I don't think, you know, what the last time we saw him uh, when he was captured with Arya and everything, that he was that type of person. Um, but he is now, and he knows, you know, he has to kind of freaking man, I don't want to say man up, but, you know, he has to kind of come to the table, and he has to be, you know, strong, and he can't be that young kid anymore. He's ready to go. From the minute he got on screen, he was ready to go. Like, Davos Can- broke through the fourth wall with that rowing jug, by the way. Oh, yes, absolutely. No, absolutely. And, uh, Joe Dempsey said they did that on purpose. I love it. Yeah, 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 they said they they totally did it on purpose. After all the all the jokes, they had to put it in there. So, well, I mean, it it you know, I mean, it's again fan service. I mean, and I felt like a lot of this this episode, this episode was a lot of fan service to things that fans have been talking about or thinking or whatever the case may be. Um, so, I definitely felt like this was a, a definite fan service one. And then not only that, but when John, uh, when uh, G- Gendry and Davos are talking, and J- Davos is like, "Okay, so this is what we're going to do. Okay, we're not going to tell anybody who the fuck you are, you know. So we're just going to keep it on the down low." And then freaking Gendry walks up to John and is like, "Hey, you're a bastard. I'm a bastard. You know, do like the secret hand ba- bastard handshake or some shit." Um, and Davos is just, like looking at him like, "Dude, we had a plan. What the fuck?" Uh, again, another wonderful moment from Davos. Gendry has become like a Robert Baratheon slash Arya hybrid where he's just like balls out up front, ready for action. Let's go. Um, I'm a massive Gendry Arya shipper. And uh, I think in any relationship, it's it's good to have common interests and a desire to kill Lannisters. <laughs> will be right up there for her. She will be living that. I, the whole time I was watching this, I was like, every single scene of his is just convincing me that he is like the perfect man for her. Also, do you just want to quickly point out, when he is talking to John and they have that exchange where John says, you're a lot leaner, and he says, you're a lot shorter, felt like a direct callback to season one where Robert yes. says to Ned, you got fat, and Ned's like, so did you. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, I know Rhaegar is, is John's father, but that doesn't change the fact that he was raised by Ned and he's very much in Ned's mold. So I, I really loved the, the similarities between these two characters and their fathers. And also, in terms of how Gendry has developed, in earlier seasons, he was always really hung up on the societal difference between him and Arya, you know, when he say like you you know I couldn't be your family you'd be my lady and he talks about how you know he's a lowborn bastard and he shouldn't be speaking in a certain way in front of her I think since finding out that Robert Baratheon is his father that's less of a problem for him I don't think he is prepared to just be that lowborn nobody knows who I am nobody from Flea Bottom anymore. I think he's ready to take a prominent position because I mean putting the you know the stag sigil on the warhammer which was a gorgeous um piece of equipment by the way mm-hmm. signifies that he you know he spent the last few years mulling on his father and and he's more confident and more sure in who he is so i i can't wait to see how things progress for him especially when he meets Arya again i was really pissed that he didn't mention her to john but again i feel <laughs> like it's probably a timing issue i was like seriously if if 
they, he does not mention her north of the wall where you've got two members of the Brotherhood and the Hound and John and Gendry and at least three of those people she means a lot to. I am going to be super pissed. I'm going to be writing a strongly worded letter to <laughs> HBO, which I will then send to Brian Cogman in tweet form. Well, and not even George, George Mormont never even mentioned Sam. I mean, that would have been like a nice little nugget to be like, hey, you know, I got rid of this grayscale by this nice lad over at, you know, his name is Sam Tarley and everything. Oh, John, John, that's my best friend. You know, I I mean, these are conversations we're going to see later. And to touch on what Dan said, um, it just seems a bit silly because they've obviously taken a very, very long boat trip from Dragonstone to Eastwatch. And I think we're going to see conversations happen where you're just like, that, that couldn't have happened on the boat. What were they doing? Playing Canasta the entire time. <laughs> it's the exact same thing where Danny and Varys want a boat all the way from freaking two continents. Yes. And then but when they land is when Danny chews them out for doing bad things in the past. Yeah. Uh, it, it's all, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> the show's getting a little wee bit, sloppy with the details in his old age and it's also the thing about just the rushing and they need to get well, to these moments okay it's not just that one conversation there are so many things there's actually a, we have a running list me and some friends of things that the show need like conversations we need to see like not only because they move the story along but because like we're invested in these characters we want to see that right right so yeah seeing seeing gendry Tell Johnny knows Arya, obviously. Jorah telling Johnny he met, he met Sam, right? Uh, John and Jorah talking about Jor Mormont, yeah. like that, and Lyanna, like talking about that as well. John and Barrett talking about both being zombies is something that I think we talk about. <laughs> the Hound telling John that he saved Sansa from getting raped to death and that he carried Arya with him for months throughout the Riverlands. Um, tor- uh, I'm trying to think. Uh oh, Varys, Theon, and Grey Worm need to have a conversation about not having dicks. Uh, can we <laughs> have that conversation? And then lastly, one that I, I know that I'm I'm really banking on happening is Jamie telling Daenerys the story about killing her dad. Oh, like oh, I yeah. really, really want to see that happen. And I, I would love for Tyrion and Sansa to meet up again. Like these are things that we want to see happen, not just because of the way it would progress the story, but because, like I said, we are so invested in these characters after all this time. And the fact that they just rushed through John, be like, "Oh shit, Arya's alive, so is Bran. That'd be cool." Man, I got a boat. Like it's so <laughs> annoying to me and we're, that we're well, we're doing we're that. Definitely you know? well, John is the only person who could get good news like that and just act morose about it. Oh, my sister and brother are alive. Uh. I thought they were like, dead. Did you not smile? Seriously? Well, They're- you got to understand, now he's got to buy double the Christmas presents. So it's really... <laughs> well, I'm going to say that I think uh, Davos said it best, and, and I think it goes hand in hand of what we're talking about. Nothing fucks you, be- nothing fucks you harder than time, and True. we don't have much time. So I think that's what's fucking us. Is that we don't have enough time, and this is something that you know, uh, you know, the show has done uh, to themselves, and so these things that we really want to see that would have been wonderful TV, we 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 may never get to see, we may never have that fulfilled, and um, and so we're just going to have to basically be happy with 
going back to Winterfeld and seeing Arya and Sansa and Sansa in the you know throne room uh, and and kind of getting the business from Arya. Oh, I'm like I was to not yield. Happy with that at all. I'd like to yield more time real quick to the senator from Texas. <laughs> so, okay, I, I think we kind of sort of circled around it, but I think the rushing is what is, you know, why Her we're missing season. out on, right, but why we're missing out on all these conversations. Because ordinarily, when we would see these long journeys, you know, that's when we would have these conversations. You think back to... Like when Braun and, and Jamie were going to Dorne. I know we don't want to bring up Dorne, but they have that conversation on the ship about Tyrion. You know, we lose out on these small moments. Like that's what they used the traveling moments for in the past seasons, were to kind of build the characters, reveal information, et cetera, et cetera. And now they're cutting all that out, and the, the byproduct is we're missing out on the smaller moments. So when we do just have like Danny's war council where John finds out about two of his siblings being alive. We're just skipping right over that. We're on to the next thing because we don't have time to talk about that. We don't have this enough of the smaller moments. And I think that's where we're suffering. We don't, you know, when you don't have the, the journeys, the, and we used to, you know, we used to joke about, Oh man, it's taking them forever to get anywhere. But those, those journeys served a purpose. You know, we got the smaller moments, you know, Think about when Gendry and and Arya were headed to the Wall in season what two or in season two. That's when Gendry found out about her heritage, and they had these this time to talk to each other. And now you know we're losing all that. We're just jumping around the map left and right, and so we don't have time to talk about that. Stuff. That's a I great just, point, it, it, though. It's a great point, and and it just further goes to show why this season should have been ten episodes. Yes. And I do I do not believe for a second that they didn't have enough. To make those ten episodes, yeah, you know, you wow. could take you could take the scenes we have now, just add add a few moments of travel, and then expand the conversations that we we honestly, I don't want to sound like a dick. I know that's kind of like my my shtick a lot of the time, <laughs> dick shtick, but it's it's really annoying to me that in this episode we had we had the massive reveal of the annulment, we had Gendry coming back and just immediately being like, I'm a Baratheon. I, I kill Lannisters now. Look at me. I'm John. Hey, John, I'm a Baratheon. Like, we just <laughs> immediately jump into all this because the impact of those scenes was undercut. It was almost comical. Like, Gendry's yeah. shit was comical. And then the way that Sam dealt with Gilly and all that was also like, it was straight up like a honeymooner sketch. Like, ah! One of these days, masters to the moon! Like, it was really annoying because when you look back at this show, the the scenes. Okay, the fact that we got Tyrion and Jaime talking again in this episode, and it lasted, and, and it still had some amazing dialogue and acting by those two guys, but that scene deserved yes. much more time. I mean, you think back at the scene where Tyrion is explaining how his stupid cousin used to smash bugs. Yeah. And how important that was, how that development was between the two of them, and, and what the implications for that conversation were down the line. And then you say, all right, now, after all this time, they're going to meet again, and it's it's 62 seconds. <laughs> it's like, what the hell? That was way too fast. We didn't even get Braun being a smart-ass to Tyrion about anything. That, like, it that's was, the real tragedy it of this episode. Just, it, to me, 
this episode is the first time this season that and now that I'm looking back at this season, I'm saying, you know, this has been a, a kind of oddly paced season overall. But yeah. like everything just feels like it's rushing. It's like Dan said, rushing so fast to get to this. If the the mountaintop for this season is them fighting 100,000 whites so they can lasso one of them, that's kind of stupid. And I feel like I don't I don't know. I feel like that's. They're, uh, well, whatever. I don't want to be a dick, so I'm just going to back no, it's off. True. I think watching. I said in work chat earlier that, I mean, Euron Greyjoy at this point has taken two around-the-world trips, like going from <laughs> east to west. The White Walkers have moved like a mile, and they don't have to stop to sleep or eat or shit or, <laughs> you know, go to a yoga class where one of them might be kidnapped on the sly. What are they doing? But everybody else is traveling with little fingers jetpack just at the speed of light it's it is inconsistent if you if you take into account the white walkers who just seem to be moving at a very very conveniently slow pace for the show to fit everything else in just I will say, along. Uh, well the the other thing that's that makes it even more frustrating is like what you were talking about thone is that we could have added a few moments here or there Overall, we're getting if, – if you look at the amount of minutes we're getting in the seven episodes, we're getting – we would be getting 10 episodes of 50 minutes apiece, 49 point whatever. So it's like if you added two or three minutes to, you know, say 10 episodes, you'd be right there. So that kind of makes it even more frustrating because you don't understand why they chose to do it in seven when they could have added two or three minutes here or there and done 10 like we were used to, and not just because that's what we were used to, but because it would give all these extra moments, you know, more weight, like what you were saying, we would have more time to dwell on it and expand it a little bit and not just be sort of this, you know, jump, 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 and you don't have any time to fully let anything sink in. So Yeah, and I, I really want to give prompts to us not to pat ourselves on the back too hard but i've listened to some other podcasts and read other you know websites besides this one obviously because i'm infatuated with the show sorry you guys only upload 60 pieces of content a day the internet's a big place so i the everybody there's been a lot of complaints about the battles like not being long enough not be or just cutting them out like the battle of high garden and casually rock and everything and I gotta say that's not the stuff that we're complaining about, and I think we're 100 percent right. We're missing the dialogue. You know, the if you look over through history, if you break out a history book from any era and you open it up, it's not going to be a whole bunch of pages about the glory of that battle. It's going to be about the build up to the battle and the fallout of it. What was the result? The Battle of the Bastards, for example, is a great episode. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it is such a cool episode. But the real implication for that is that the Boltons are gone and that John is back at the castle and that reset up the political landscape in Westeros. That's what's actually important. Not that there was some really cool combat happening in the field, right? So cutting out those battles isn't the problem. And I'm really proud of us for not bitching about not having more battles. We're bitching about not having more slow pacing dialogue, which is just so odd. weird. So nerdy, like Isa said. We're just the nerdiest dorks this side of Nerdsville. So I, I, I watch the show for the dialogue and the characters, you know. <laughs> exactly. That's, that's my jam. And I didn't put years of, of my time into Arya and Gendry's relationship, <laughs> only for Gendry to come back and be like, I met your dad once. I was like, you what, bitch? 
and then di- and then dies friend. but and then dies to a white walker. Okay, so <laughs> let's move this thing along That's a little bit, guys. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to put that in there. Let's move this, this thing along. This is why me and Sarah. Bit. This is why me and Sarah are friends because <laughs> we are both we are both shippers and and we want this. So, um, well, let's talk about the other ship in the house. Um, we have Danny and John. Um, talking at the beach, but they really didn't talk. What I meant to say is Jorah saying goodbye and singing I Will Always Love You, and then uh, Jorah looks over and sees John walk down the beach, and it's kind of like, to me, it was kind of like, yeah, he's he is a good-looking dude, so I'll step back. And John just kind of gives Danny the brush off. I wish you fortune in the wars to come? That's all you've got to say to the woman you just got through petting her dragon? And that's not a metaphor for sex? <laughs> That was kind of a bullshit move on John's part, but uh, I, I don't think so. I think nah, he was, was playing ice it. Cold. It, it. I thought it was like he was, you know, kind of like, yeah, I see you hugging Jorah. I'm just going to give you just enough attention to you go. Oh, but John, wait! And and he he was just playing it cool. He he totally playing it cool. And she may have not given him, you know, a hand job in the freaking cave, which is his play. Oh, so I mean. Oh. She's so thirsty for him. It's so funny, though. Like, when they were in the council and he was like, I'm a king. Like, she nearly flooded the room. Girl, you ain't lying. (laughs) Oh, my God. She's so thirsty. That that girl was licking her. her, She was licking her chops. She was like, oh, damn. Jorah has been, like, her close friend and advisor for such a long time. who She has a a real long-standing relationship with was like i'll go north and she was like oh that's nice and then john was like i'll go too and she's like no <laughs> so i think i think next week you're gonna see her like standing at the window like when will my husband return from the war uh, <laughs> but it will be over john and, and not jorah <laughs> how cold she's so thirsty for him i mean I, I, you know like many women and men who watch the show and and Look at John. I mean, personally, I don't. If there was one character in the show I would not want to be with, it's Jon Snow. Uh, he's so miserable. But yeah, her her uh, her hunger was showing. I'll I'd never get Pod. that out of my head. Now she flooded the cave. I'd All say, right, I'd say Pod. Pod's would, biggest claim to want... fame is that he can lay pipe like a champion. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm like Pod. Yeah, I'm Pod. Just, I've, I've hugged Daniel Portman. Oh, have you? Oh yes, my god. Oh my god. Soft. And smells delicious. Smells delicious. Holy crap. Uh, okay. okay. Hey, let's ahead. move on. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, I want to talk about dick some more. So. <laughs> let's get to Winterfell really quick because I know Sarah wants to talk about Winterfell. And here's my take on what happened at Winterfell. Um, Sansa was actually being really level-headed. And Arya was a bit of a dick. And then Littlefinger just used it to play into his into his little web of power and i have one theory i want to bring up before everybody just blows it all to hell and we start talking about flooding caves again i think that uh aria and sansa are actually playing Littlefinger. they're trying to get him to think he's in control and just when he is about to pull the rug out from somebody bam he they've got it i don't know maybe i'm wrong but uh i think i'm right you're 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 wrong anyway go ahead Explain I, how I would I'm wrong. If that was true, I, but I don't think it is. Uh, I, I, Arya is my favorite character. I'm the biggest Arya fan on the planet. She is like my child, uh, and she was being a dick. I was on Sansa's side completely throughout that scene. But you know, Arya's Arya's 
completely fucked up. She's been on her own for so long, and her way of life is if somebody gets in my way, if somebody screws up my family, I'm I'm going to hurt them. And she saw what the Northern Lords were doing as an egregious insult to John. How dare they speak against their king? And she wanted Sansa, I think, to be more vocal. But Sansa, in terms of politics and dealing with people, is a lot smarter. That's not what Arya's cut out for. So I, I don't think that Right now, they are plotting against Littlefinger. I think they will be by the end of the season. But I think that particular scene, Arya was just being unreasonable. And Sansa was completely right to say, you know, I know it's nice to kill people, but you're being an idiot. Uh, She needed to hear it. Um, I think it's a bit weak and a bit convoluted. And I don't think enough time was devoted to the Winterfell stuff for it to be really that believable. I mean, they've just been reunited and already Arya's trying to start a fight with her sister. But, I mean, I feel like I feel like this is all leading up to Littlefinger's demise. And I guess they need his death to have some dramatic license. I guess it wouldn't be as effective if Arya just came home and stabbed him straight away, as much as I'd love to see that. Which I would have been fine with. Oh. Dan, Dan, do you think that... Because I know Corey Smith wants to chime in here, but Dan, I haven't heard from you in a while. Do you think that Sansa was really soaking in the power and then just decided that, hey, it's better that I make make sure they know John's the king? Because I don't agree with that. I mean, I'm... From where I was sitting, if I were Arya and I saw her sitting there politely talking to the lords, I wouldn't have jumped to that conclusion. Um, I agree with Sarah. I think it, it's it's like the others we're talking about. They're kind of they're making this go a little quicker than they probably should because they want to get to Littlefinger's. What I'm guessing will be Littlefinger's death or some kind of big dramatic moment. Um, I I just I just didn't buy it. I didn't buy that Arya would be that suspicious of Sansa without more reason. I mean, I know they didn't get along great when they were kids, but they were kids. And a lot's happened to both of them. It's, it's one of those problems where, like, if they just sat down for, like, an hour and talked, it would be solved. But, um, that's you know, the a, show... That's not something the Starks do very well. Is they don't. Like that's they... true. They've never done that. Especially, yeah. especially those two. But, I mean, you know, if any time to do it, it's now. Well, do I, I... Goddamn, they should start. Well, Dan, this is the way I kind of saw it. I left home when I was 18 years old, and my brother, who was, I think, what, 15 years old, and I left, and I haven't been, I mean, I've been back home to visit and everything, but every time I go back home to visit, I see my brother as that 15-year-old little shit, and not the 27-year-old man that he is now that has three kids and has a, a, a a child uh, a family of his own and wife and all that stuff. And I, I just, I don't, it's really hard for me to reconcile who he is now versus the person that I remember way back when. And so I think that maybe that's what Arya's kind of struggling with. And, and not only that, but I mean, she's struggling with that just kind of because of what she has dealt with coming back home. Um, so that that's my perspective. So when she was giving her the business, as I'd like to refer to it, I felt like she, you know, she kind of had some, she doesn't know who Sansa is really. She knows that right. that's her sister, but does not know that uh, who she really is. At the same time, I mean, like I, like she had that bit in the, in the, in her bedroom where she kind of looked at Sansa and divined that she did kind of want more power, which, which we know is true. Sansa, after everything she's been through, I think wants security 
I think she wants power because she's never wants to be in a vulnerable position again. It's kind of my take on it. And, and Arya saw that. Like she, she saw it because she has all that faceless men training about, you know, when they smacked her with a switch when she lied. Like she can do that to other people now. She did it to Sansa. And that's a great take in it. And it is helping. I, I just I didn't I didn't feel that when I watched. I wanted them to connect some more lines, some more dots, and I felt yeah. a little more time could have been needed. Like well, the sh- all all these plots, I feel like they could be done well if there were the ones we're complaining about if they had just a few more scenes to set them up which again is what we talk about the whole time the scenes will end up making sense because we've gotten so much backstory over these last six seasons Mm -hmm. but you are correct they need more time right now and the show this is actually the worst story this is like the worst development maybe i've ever seen from Game of Thrones, unless something happens in the next episode to prove me wrong, I guess. But they basically are just relying on the fact that we know, like you said, Dan, that, that Sansa, because Arya wasn't there. Sansa had been kind of poisoned a little bit by Littlefinger and was like, oh, I'm going to be the Lady of Winterfell. And then it went to John. She's disappointed. And then she got catty with John in front of everybody two episodes in a row. And then when John was like, but you're in charge while I'm gone, she shut up. Right and sat down, and that was because she was like, "Oh, awesome, great!" Like, and, and I mean, it's obvious to us. Sansa, like you said, does enjoy that power, but Arya's assumption from that is based off what we know and not what she knows. It is a very, I don't know, it's a very lazy moment to yeah. like to to depend on us to just like, okay, so Sansa did all that stuff, so we know Arya's right, but also Arya was. Like I think she was completely out of line in how she approached the situation with the the person who's running the castle. It's like well, I mean, you know, in, in terms of that, I mean, it, it's like I said, like when Sansa knew, when Arya knew Sansa, Sansa was more of a materialistic kind of shallow person. So she's basing it off the Sansa she used to know, and also we had her whole faceless men stuff. Like when she and Arya were talking in the room and. Arya looked at Sansa and was like, you're thinking about it right now, aren't you? Like, ruling the thing. I was reminded of the scenes the where Arya was lying. Yeah. What? Well, uh, I was reminded of the scenes where Arya was lying and the way for Dragon Nagar would slap her. Yes. And I'm, I'm figuring she can now see that in other people. And she can, and even though she didn't see what we saw, she knows that Sansa's thinking about that. I mean, but the okay. thing is, the, the regardless thing of what Sansa is thinking, it's her actions that should be examined, and what right. she chose to do was stand loyal to John. So maybe she's thinking, oh, it would really be nice if they named me Queen in the North, I'd love that. But at the same time, it's more important to her to keep faith with her family, so she told them no. So okay. I think Arya was being very, very unreasonable. I, I think they were. I think they were both being unreasonable in the scene maybe Arya more so but Sansa you know is three episodes Sansa is like oh we need to execute these people for not being loyal and then when they try and take away their homes not kill them right no but she she okay she didn't want to execute them 
Okay, but she was she was suggesting punishment in some form, and then when they should suggest a course of action that would have benefited her and screwed John, she's like, "Oh no, that's okay," and she just brushes it off. She should have been more firm with those guys because, for fuck's sake, they're like two weeks away from electing those two jackasses at the gate as king in the north. I mean, these guys are waffling from one you know one second to the next. Oh, John went out, you know, John left the North for a couple of weeks to try and get us some allies. But, okay, but you know, as Sansa said to phone. as Sansa said to Arya, it's a completely different situation. Those families didn't take up arms against John. They were throwing their toys out of the pram because John wasn't there. But they are part of the reason why but Sansa it, and John have Winterfell. She has to keep them sweet to keep their support. Yeah, so I, I get it. punishing I get it, them is you, not going to fly. Yeah, and I'm not saying that she should have taken them out in the courtyard and executed them, but she she didn't even admonish them. She didn't even slap their wrists. She didn't say, wait a second, you, you know, you can't suggest that we betray John. Like, he's the king, we follow him. She didn't take a hard line Yeah, but how is she supposed to do she that if, right the, if, if Royce takes the, the Knights of the Veil away just because he gets angered by a girl telling him what to do? She had to no, play she, political. She, yeah, she, she, she knows how to speak to people. It. But she's always known how to speak to people. It's always been her greatest strength. As Tyrion said, she may outlive everybody because she's so good at telling people what they want to hear. She played that very well. And I don't think she was being at all unreasonable. I think Arya was acting like a, a petulant brat. And Sansa okay. was acting like her sort of world-weary mother who's trying to tell her, you know, just shut up and behave yourself. You don't know but what there, you're talking about. I will say this. The, that, the fact that you're saying this, Corey... Um, you know, it, it shows that you can look at this in different angles. So perhaps there are people out there who do see Arya's side of it more. I, I, again, I, um, I, I, I just wish think, I got the full panorama better. I didn't think that Arya was being completely reasonable either. Because, again, you can't just like, okay, well, we suggested this. Well, no, that's wrong. And then execute people. Like, I, I don't think Arya, you know, Arya is a little too kill happy. Um, you know, like Santa suggested, you can't just, uh, it might be more fun to just execute people. But at the same time, I mean, how can you trust these people? Like, you have to get these people in line. They just basically suggested treason. And I know they didn't take up arms, but had they elected Sansa, had she agreed, that's what it would have come to. They they would have had to fight off John. So, yeah, they didn't do it that second, but that's what they were suggesting was taking up arms against John. So the two of them, they just need to have a sleepover, have like a picture <laughs> of margaritas, and just really hash out what they've been through over the last few years, and then they'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be yeah, fine. Yeah, they do. They I, just, I totally they, agree. They haven't told, have they even had the convert? Has has to said, you know, oh, by the way, I've spent the last few years being like raped and brutalized, and I was like, well, you know, I was blinded and beaten up on the streets. Like they they haven't had that conversation. They no they way. still don't know what the other has gone through. And I, I think until they have that level of understanding, you're going to see this friction. But I'm not worried about them. I think the season's going to end with them being I pretty tight. I, I do think that they'll get on the same page eventually. And I will say the the thing I liked about the scene the most is I think we've all kind of assumed that Littlefinger was going down at some point this season, right? And up until this point, he kind of just, the only thing he was doing was being annoying. You know, he was he was hitting on Sansa and he was offering bad advice, but he hadn't actually done anything to justify, at least in Sansa's eyes, you know, being executed. And so I did at least like the fact that now he's 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 proactively going to cause his death if that does come true. 
even if it's... I like that, too. You know what yeah. I mean? Because it looked like they were just kind of, at the end of the season, they're going to be like, oh, well, we're, we've had enough of your bad advice, so we're going to kill you. Which, for, <laughs> for a character like Littlefinger, would have been pretty lame. You know what I mean? We wanted to see Littlefinger finally get caught in one of his schemes and not just executed because just because you know, of what dead. whatever but can I also say that when we read this whole thing off back in fall we all thought that this was all going to be revealed through Bran remember we were like and Bran's going to tell Sansa and Arya about what Littlefinger did and Bran's going to reveal Jon's parentage at least the show although it's rushing has taken a couple of steps to say well this is how Littlefinger's going to fall probably and right Here's John's parentage, I, I, I like and the John's par- John's legitimization as a Targaryen is now in the hands of a sticky toddler. But uh, well, you said earlier that you think <laughs> you think that Sansa and yes. Arya are playing Littlefinger. I think that's not happening. You're giving uh, a certain character way too much credit <laughs> to scheme, <laughs> uh, but I, I don't think either one of them are able to see that far in the future to know what's happening. I think that Littlefinger. Littlefinger is the one who is purposely – I mean we saw him lurking in the shadows afterward. He is going to try to use Arya's hot-headedness and black-and-white world outlook and everything to <laughs> for his advantage basically. His whole goal is to get the Iron Throne with Sansa. So if he can create a rift between the Starks, that's a good first step. Right, so he's officially made his move. Like, like, like you guys were saying, he's made his move. It's time for, um, you know, him to to start scheming, I guess, and start fighting that battle he's always fighting in his mind or whatever. Yeah. So and he's picked he's picked Arya as his first target, which was a huge mistake. The, yeah, but she poses the most immediate threat to his physical safety i think exactly she sufficiently I, I, distracted him from bran and the real danger he poses and i think david i think you're right still that bran's going to be the one to close this because i think that bran knows who has quote unquote a role to play as as the red priest as we say in the upcoming wars He's not going to tell them what Littlefinger did because he's mad at Littlefinger. He's going to tell them that so they can focus and and stay together and fight the White Walkers. He's going to be like, oh, yeah, by the way, did you know that he betrayed our dad? Like, it's going to be <laughs> – this is going to happen. He's going to be like, listen, we can't fight. We don't need – and Littlefinger's going to be scheming, and Bran's going to stop it, not because of any loyalty to his heritage. It's going to be uh, – because of the the imminent danger of the White Walkers. I do have uh, – before we move on to our final topic, uh, which we, are, we basically covered already, um, we missed – we glossed over, as Isis reminded us, um, the baby, uh, Cersei's baby. But before we get to that topic, I want to talk about one thing we didn't hit on uh, when, when the Suicide Squad was about to leave. Tormund talks to Jorah because he finds out he's a Mormont. Does anybody else on this podcast think that he tried that shit with Liana and then she smacked him down? Because <laughs> he knows she's a Mormont, right? That's Lady Mormont. I'm sure he didn't give Liana any lip like that. And finally, while we were at Eastwatch, he did ask John if he brought the big woman. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely love that moment. And it was so funny because I, as um, Tormund said that, if you look at John's face, he cannot – I don't know if yeah. it's a 
you know, um, a genuine moment or if it was scripted or what, but it, he just laughed. Like, he just, he couldn't help but laugh. And I love the fact that we got to see him smile and because he thought it was just as funny as we did. And we were, you know, we were John at that moment. Um, and it was just a wonderful, like, again, fan service moment of that giant, you know, uh, Torment asked about his, his beautiful uh, Brienne. And so, yeah. <laughs> It was oh. as thirsty as Daenerys. <laughs> yes, girl. Yes. There was, there was a puddle at East Watch, and it was all belonged to Tillman. <laughs> ew, ew, gross. Oh, anyway, uh, let's talk about the big reveal Sploosh. of Sploosh. <laughs> let's talk about Cersei, Jamie, and Baby Lannister. We Baby Lannister. Um, Fake baby. <laughs> anchor baby. I think that I said, I said fake baby. I know, and I said anchor baby. baby. Too. Um, baby. I, I have, think they I have a, a, a thing about this. And, the and, goddamn fake. Sorry, I had to throw that out there. <laughs> no, I think the baby will is real. I, I believe that she is pregnant. Do I believe that she will carry the child to term? I doubt it because of the prophecy, I believe, states that she was only going to have the three children, correct? Um, correct? And so I feel like that this is an indication of, of that that's going to happen. But something that I noted on on Jamie, excuse me, and Jamie has had, as we have talked about before, has had an incredible, you know, arc, story arc. And, um, and I love that video that David shared with us, that YouTube video fan made. Oh, broker, oath breaker. Oh my, you need to put it in the link of this (laughs) podcast and everybody needs to see it because it is the shit. Okay, so Oath broker. Can we get Oath broker. Can we get a Can we get an American Psycho or a Wolf of Wall Street type thing of Oath Broker where <laughs> it's like negotiating oaths around sorry. I need that in my life now. Thank you. So, um I just felt like that we have been watching Jamie and Cersei really kind of being in two different paths, him kind of coming back home and saying, look, you know, there is no way that we can go ahead and fight this Dothraki army. She's got freaking dragons. She's got three of them, not just one, three of them. And um, and I felt like it was really telling when she told him uh, that, um, um, what was it? She said something, oh, uh, we fight and die or submit and die. I know my choice. A, sh- a sh- soldier... Excuse me. A soldier should know his, and I really felt like that was a chipping away at Danny. Uh, excuse me, at Jamie, kind of being on Cersei's side, um, and that all changed once she told him about that baby and about that they were going to have this open relationship, and um, and so he. I mean, it's basically everything that he have ever he has ever wanted. The look but on his face, like, though, whenever she said that, I'll tell everybody it was yours, it was like he finally gets to be a proud papa. Like, I almost got teared up if it wasn't for the fact that it was from incestual relationship. Yeah, but then she totally fucking ruins it by going psycho on him again, like, ten seconds later. When she's like, don't ever betray me again. Like, dude, like... Which is why we all this, love to hate her, because she's yeah, never been Yeah, but then his but face that. changes again, too. Yeah. I mean, he, he like he's like, oh, yes, this will be great. We're going to have a kid, and everybody's going to know, and it's going to be awesome. Oh, wait, my sister's fucking psycho. Like, Well, I, I think he thought of it this way, and, and it brings me back to when uh, Jamie told Brienne that she needed to get the fuck out of, uh, out of uh, King's Landing, was that, oh, shit, she knows that it was Bronn. I need to get Bronn out of here. 
because he is in danger if he's not already dead. That's the, what I got out of it. I mean, yes, she's fucking crazy, yeah. but also, but also, I need to get Braun out of here. And in my mind, the first thing I was thinking about was send Braun to Tyrion right now. Get him out yeah. of town. I mean, I, I was also worried about Braun. As soon as she said that, I was like, "Holy shit!" Like he just saved his life, and now you're like, "He betrayed you." Seriously, she is she is batshit insane. The only person who would be more frightening to date than her is Arya because you could never cheat on her because you would be worried that you'd be cheating with her. She's gonna rip <laughs> your face off and stab you. Like Gendry yeah. is for a hell of a relationship. Yeah, Cersei is Cersei is crazy, but I, I completely believe that the baby is real. And um, when Jamie walks in, there's you actually hear Kyburn, I think, offer her something, like Do you yeah. need something for this, and she's like, Oh no, that won't be necessary and then she's like super zen, I mean comparatively for Cersei. And but, only a child I think could, could inflict that kind of happiness upon her. Did y'all think that it was something to abort the kid or was it just something for morning yes, sickness? I thought something? it was for abortion. That's yeah. what I. That's what I got out of right. Yeah, like yeah, they okay. reference Moon Tea a lot in the books. But right. I yeah. Yeah. Candy Tea. Yeah. Hey, so. can I? Can I? Can I jump in? No. no. Please. <laughs> so, yes, about nice. about this prophecy where it's her younger brother that kills her, right? Mm-hmm. So the baby yeah. inside of her is her brother, technically, <laughs> right? <laughs> so what if she Ooh, dies? Nephew. Is it Childbirth? nephew? Is yeah, it, it, so if it's her brother, it's also, but it's her, it's her brother's. It would, no, because if, if my if brother was, has a kid, that's not my brother. It would be her brother if Tywin had sex. Oh, okay. Yeah. Never mind then. See, and you know, Why everybody jokes. Like talk? They were talking about Everybody this jokes about folks from the South, like being in <laughs> incest, but like, I don't know what that shit means, so. Clearly Although, though, phones on to something that doesn't say her brother. It just says the Valonqar, which is a little brother. <laughs> also, guess. it's not in the show. That's so. true. That's true. Not <laughs> also, also, it doesn't exist. So there you go. Oh, so well, really act- well, actually. <laughs> All right. Well, well, actually, about incest. So that's... <laughs> Thanks, Smith. Highs and lows of this podcast are amazing. Um, we've talked about this entire episode for a lot longer than I thought we would, but... Um, Next week's going to be going to be a seventy-minute episode, Dan. Mm-hmm. Seventy-five, oh. I thought. Seventy. Seventy minutes, and it's going to be uh, to borrow a term from ISIS, but to man, but just to say, it's going to be SEAL Team sucks. Probably will be terrible. Things will go bad. I'm sure Dicks, a couple of them will come Dicks away. Will, Dicks will be wrecked. Dicks will be wrecked. <laughs> I'm. What I'm most disappointed about in this whole podcast is that um, Phone never once said dicks out for dick on. Uh, it really makes me sad. Phone, you had an opportunity and you blew it. But um, uh, I blew the dick on. <laughs> you kind of made up for it right there. All oh, right. Um, real fast Reddit joke I wanted to open the show with um, <clears throat> about job. dick on Tarly. Slightly um, late. We, we've – We've seen a lot of nudity in the show, but we've never seen a dick on fire. Uh, oh. <laughs> Pause for applause. Classic. Classic Reddit. Thank you, Dan, for contributing. Yeah. You helped. All right, Welcome. listen, guys, that's going to be our episode for tonight. Uh, expect us back next week with, um, I don't know, maybe maybe somebody will be crying because one of our favorite episodes. 
I don't know, favorite uh, characters on the show died. We don't know. But um, for myself, for Isis, for Sarah, for the two Corys, and for Dan, thanks for listening. You've been a great crowd. who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.